As a reminder to our listeners, it is the once a year Max Fun Drive where we ask you, our dear listeners, to help support what it is that we do here in Heat Rocks and by extension what Maximum Fun does for us to allow us to bring you the shows that we do. The Max Fun Drive, again, it only happens once a year, so we're mm-hmm. not around the clock with it. We bring you our best shows of the year. We offer some nice thank you swag. It is a celebration of all things Max Fun and the very best time for you. The listener to become a member, or if you are already a member, upgrade that membership. Upgrade, upgrade, and shout out to Beyonce. Why you should become a member is pretty clear. Okay, if you're a Heat Rocks fan, then just know that your monthly membership will support us. The benefits of contributing is one, as I've said many times before, if you rock denim jackets, <laughs> we'll give you a great pin to go on your denim jacket. If you do not, this would be a time to go out and get a denim jacket. But before you do that, become a member. Also, you'll just feel dope. Every time you listen, you'll be like, yo, I listen to Heat Rocks. I've learned some things about a particular hot album. You'll help us reach our goal of 25,000 new and upgrading members. We've mentioned some of the swag. And on top of that, you'll be supporting the real work of this show. Um, We do a lot of work to prepare these Heat Rocks episodes. Oliver goes deep into the crates, okay, to get this important information about the albums. He comes up with great titles like Women Behaving Boldly. That was all him. (laughs) Oliver's got bars, okay? Bars go into this. Just a lot of work. We try and um, talk about the best albums, you know, out there and uh, bring in great guests. So your contribution to this show will ensure that we're able to continue to bring bringing the level of programming we've tried to bring thus far along the way. During the drive, we are asking listeners to support our show by becoming a Maximum Fun monthly member. It's simple. You basically sign up at a price point that is agreeable to you, Mm -hmm. and you will just be locked in every month. That Again, that money helps to support us. It helps to support the network. If you are already an ongoing member, then upgrade. You know, we can always use a little bit more of that support to be able to, again, do what it is that we do. And in upgrading, you are still going to be eligible for the same thank you gifts that we offer new members every year. So it's not like you're losing out. And again, it just allows us to be able to do the work, as Morgan just talked about, that makes us who we are. So go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Again, MaximumFun.org slash donate. Become a monthly supporting member. On our next break, we'll tell you a little bit more about that swag that we're promising. But again, what we could use now is your support. We only do this once a year, so make it count. Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks and a hood episode of Heat Rocks as we are taping in the kitchen. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, combustible, an album that bangs eternally. And today, we will be scrolling back together into the 1974 album, Adjustments, by Los Angeles' own Bill Withers. In some ways, the story of Bill Withers' career is a numbers game. It started with his first hit, released in his Jesus year, when he was 33. Over the span of his career, he's been nominated for four Grammys, won three, this across eight albums. But when you ask most people about Bill Withers' discography, they'll more often than not reference just one of seven songs 
you know them. Lean on me, ain't no sunshine, lovely day, use me, grandma's hands, who is he, and what is he to you? To be sure, all of those are jams, heat rocks. But the story of Bill Withers' career has to include his story of a black man growing up in coal mining country in the 40s, of a black man and his stint in the Navy, his 9 to 5 as an airplane mechanic, his battles with Columbia Records, and A&R men who he famously called antagonistic and redundant. And of that voice, that voice, yes, that one. Adjustments was his third album, and it debuted in the spring of 1974, just before his label Sussex Records went belly up. It's heavy, introspective, pointed, and powerful about the responsibility of choice. This is grown folks' music, not because of explicit lyrics, more because of implicit content. Yet, Content that made me wonder how much of this was observational and how much was personal. Mm. Was some of this about the state of his union? Either way, adjustments, in my opinion, is an intimate experience, a conversation and some tea between just the two of us. In some ways, the story of Bill Withers' career is the story of this album, quietly prolific, perhaps tragically underrated, but still Mm. Bill, full of heat rocks from a free thinker born on the 4th of July. Adjustments was the album pick of our guest today, singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Joey Dosick. Last year, when I was watching the Brett Haley film, Hearts Beat Loud, a song came on during a scene and it had gorgeous gospel piano chords and dulcet vocals that instantly gave it a mid-career Donny Hathaway feel. Mm. One web search later, and I was introduced to Game Winner, Joey Dosick's composition from 2016. Los Angeles native, Joey began gigging locally as a high schooler, but his career really took shape when he left the Southland for Ann Arbor, Michigan. Shout out to my birth city, where Joey played with Build an Ark and Dear Disco, amongst other groups, including the core musicians that eventually returned to Los Angeles in the form of the group Wolfpeck, whom Joey has frequently collaborated with when he hasn't been busy with his own releases, the most recent of which was his solo debut LP from last year, Inside Voice, an album that includes stories originally written and recorded by one William Withers on the album, Justments. Joey, welcome to Heat Rocks. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. I think we, we, we can all collectively say that we are so glad that you picked a Bill Withers album. Uh, speaking just for myself, I celebrate the man's entire catalog. And before we get into the specifics of this album, can we just talk a little bit about how you discovered Withers and more to the point, what does his music mean to you, especially as someone who's covered one of his songs? I feel like we all kind of discover him around the campfire, sort of. It's like there's, you said it, there's songs that we all know. You know, you, I think you mentioned seven songs, but if we were all in a bar and we all needed to sing a song together in the bar, like Lean On Me is probably up there as one of the first choices. So I think we kind of all find out about him through just this sort of 
um, this cultural knowing. We all just know the know the song. It's a part of our our collective culture somehow. Um, but that's not how I found Justman's, which is one of his kind of hidden records. Yeah, yeah. Speak on it. Well, I found Justman's in my uh, ex girlfriend's record collection. Um, I was dating someone at the time who was working at the hospital. She was in med school, and she would spend a lot of time away from the apartment. Um, I was kind of crashing with her at the time. And uh, Adjustments was one of the records that I found in her record collection, and I would put it on and and play along with the record. And mm. it was just like, oh, this is a Bill Withers album. It didn't, it didn't necessarily stand out to me because I wasn't familiar with this whole catalog. And then later I found it and um, had an ex- you know the kinds of experiences where you have to like, when I first time I heard stories where I had to like pull over and listen to it a few times. And whenever an album kind of does that yeah. to me, it usually is one that is going to last my whole life. I mean, Morgan, you were telling us before we started taping that until you prepped for the show, you actually had never even known about the album. And to be fair, I mean, this was his third studio album, but it was one that was not released on CD until 2010. So for a lot of people who probably know that the first two albums and all the songs on there by heart, it's easy to see how this would have flown under the radar. So I am dying to know what your thoughts were listening to this for the first time. I'm kind of jealous, actually. I mean, and I'm jealous of you guys because I didn't hear it until late. So my first thought was like, well, damn, you know, and actually the damn was my first thought. Um, (laughs) Where have I been was the first thought. And as I said in the intro, it just felt really intimate. Like I listened, I needed to listen to that by myself, Hmm. um, how personal it was. My introduction to Bill Withers was um, Ain't No Sunshine. And I don't remember the specific person that bumped it, but I just remember hearing it as, as, a, as a youth. And me and my cousins um, trying to see how many of those, I know, I know, I know, I know, how many we could do without running out of breath. And I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, had I known that he was going to say it 26 times, I probably just would have not made this a contest because we never lasted. We get halfway through and then we just start laughing. But I just remember the quality of his voice and uh, something that we call smothered. You know, you can have um, pork chops or you can have them smothered. You can have hash browns, you can have them smothered. Bill Withers' voice is smothered. Mm. And that was the feeling that I had listening to this album, um, which was personal to me because I felt like he let us in on some things um, on the DL. Like, I'm not going to tell you what perspective I know these, where this is coming from, but I'm going to let you in on a little bit of tea. And that was the feeling that I had listening to this album. This is a little bit of tea um, on him and what was going on in his life at the time. And I was blown away. It is it it is a thing of beauty. Right. And to Morgan's point, I mean, partly what I'm assuming you're talking about is that he recorded this album and was working on it during the point at which him and his uh, his wife, uh, Denise Nicholas, were in the process of breaking up and divorcing. And it it should be added because this has been out there for many years. But but uh, the rumors have been, I think, uh, Nicholas in particular has stated that that there was physical abuse happening in the marriage. And that was part of it. And so this is part of the broader backstory that's going on. Um, he was married to Denise Nicholas, but there are a lot of songs that I think are 
are not getting to, to the specifics of, of what might have happened, but just a little hint of what might have happened. And because they were hints, there were parts of me that felt like, should I be, should I be knowing? Um, but I think Bill wanted to tell without telling. And so it, it had a very, I just felt like, ooh, like this is not an album that you listen to with people. This is an album that you mm. listen to by yourself, or at least that was my feeling. I listened to the album for years before knowing it was a divorce record. Mm. I had no idea until uh, Bomani Jones, um, yeah. until <laughs> he, he tweeted it out. And I was like, what, really? And then yeah. you start to see it a whole other way. Right. Mm. And there's so much, I mean, with all the records that we love that, that, is, that, are, that is hidden, that are hidden. You know, including for me um, as a musician and a producer, there's so much um, even about the band and the story of Bill Withers and his band that is a hidden story. Like this album was co-produced by Melvin Dunlap and James Gadson, two members of original 103rd Street Watts band, which became Bill Withers' band and really helped define his sound. And those guys are part of this kind of hidden story too. Um, this is the only record they really got like production credit on, even though they really helped define, I think, that kind of smothered sound, as smothered. you say. It's, mm. it's an amazing, like, it's so funky, but it's almost like not electric. Mm -hmm. You know, right. it's like, I guess I said campfire before. It's like campfire funk, yeah. you know, but not <laughs> like in a terrible hippie way. I love that. Yeah. Morgan, I love this idea of the smothered voice because I think one of the interesting things about Withers, maybe more so on his earlier albums than on this one, but nonetheless is that of the major soul acts, especially in the early 70s, I think one of the distinguishing differences about Withers as compared to, let's say, a Marvin or a Stevie or a Donnie or an Al Green is that Withers didn't come up in the church. He wasn't a gospel singer at any point. I think that you, I think that really distinguishes both his vocal and his musical approach, at least on his early albums, because there's not as much of the gospel feel that you would have gotten from a lot of the other like Motown era or some of the Southern um, uh, singers who all came out of that, that background. And I'm wondering, especially Morgan, for you as someone who has spent a lot of time listening to gospel over the years, was that apparent to you in listening to Bill that he wasn't a church kid unlike a lot of the other 60s, 70s guys? Absolutely. One is because of how you're taught to sing when you grow up in the church. And I've said this before. It doesn't matter if you're a gospel singer and black music, it doesn't matter if your song is about rubber bands. You better <laughs> sing about rubber bands like your life depends on it. It's the way you <laughs> phrase it, right? I felt like because he was from a coal mining town West Virginia, in West Virginia, that he was more, more folky. And the way he sang was more folky and less gospel-y. And I think, unfortunately, that's why he's been so underrated, because mm. we tend to judge gospel R&B singers based on their gospel chops, and it's a part of their biography that's released over and over again. But I also think that was part of the appeal of Bill Withers, that he didn't sound like all these people that we're talking about, that he didn't have that in his background, right. and that he was qualified to talk about every man, and we'll get to certain songs when he starts to go into Railroad, that I don't think that's something that we would have heard from Marvin Gaye or Billy Preston or Al Green or Donny Hathaway, that there was a different burden that they were singing about, which was different than what Bill Withers was singing about. 
Joey, I want to get you your thoughts on this in just a second, but if I can just quickly add something. I think one of the interesting and distinguishing things about Withers is that while him and his other contemporaries at the time certainly might have all come from working class backgrounds, Withers, I think, to your point, Morgan, speaks about that in a way that's much more direct, which I don't think you necessarily get from a lot of the other musicians that he might, that again, might have had working class backgrounds, but in their music, you wouldn't necessarily know. But with Withers, that always felt like it was part of it. Right. And um, not so much um, civil rights, which I think was another burden of growing up in this in this era and in this time and in R&B musicians that there had to be. He was dealing with different things and it didn't seem like he was dealing with demons. Mm-hmm. It just felt like he was making, these were working class observations of a life in a coal mining town that if you're not from there, you wouldn't know what he was talking about. Right. And he was, I think he was a dock worker before he his music career launched here in Los Angeles, probably right. down on Long Beach or the, he LA made Harbor, a, and so that's part of it. He installed Toilets onto 747s. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so it was an aerospace, but again, like you, you were very blue collar in that sense. And also, the part of his biography that's that's the most interesting is like blowing up at 33. That oh, yeah. right. you know what I'm saying? Right. That most people that blew up that you're talking about had started in the church, so 18, 19, and they had come up. But to blow up at 33, when in everyone's economy is like at that point you're supposed to know what you're going to be when you grow up. Yeah. And to leave what would be considered a stable nine to five, be it, you know, installing toilets or not, that's a stable nine to five. And to be like, you know what, I'm going I'm to try and sing out here. That's one of the most interesting things about Bill Withers mm. is that his, his, his rise to fame is so non-traditional. And even his career path, because this is his third album. And I feel like the sort of trajectory of so many artists back then was, okay, by your third album, that's when you hit, yep. you know? It's like your first couple, even like yeah. your fourth album, like your first couple, like we're gonna make you a record and then we're gonna put you on the road opening for somebody, you're gonna build up a fan base and then third record, like for someone like Tom Petty or whatever, it's like, that's when it hits. And he hit right right off the bat, he had something to say. Just like you said, like that really blew my mind, the whole, I had this whole idea of, um, you know, that he's not really, necessarily coming from a gospel place. And I wonder if that also is one of the reasons why someone like me, like a Jew from the Valley, born years later, can even really, um, it was just more accessible on some level for me. I was always related to him also because we have the same vocal range, pretty much. So singing his songs taught me a lot about singing. Mm. And not only that, it's like I'm not from the church. And so to sing his song... It was something that I could more easily kind of embody and Mm -hmm. try and sort of just, yeah, it was more accessible on some level. Joy, to bring this back to adjustments in particular, I mean, you you could have brought in, you know, Still Bill or Just As I Am. Why did you want to talk about this one in particular? What is it about adjustments? I think it's just like, like I said before, like anytime an album makes me pull over on the side of the road, Mm -hmm. like (laughs) I'm going to be coming back to you often. And, um... That's what the track Stories had done to me. Mm, um, mm, mm. There's other tracks on this record that like, I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to, uh, to do whatever for, like if I could have written that song, I would have I'd given my left arm. Um, like uh, Heartbreak Road. I mean, still, Bill, 
timeless album. Yeah. To me, like Justman's has those timeless moments, but it's also so human. It's also so raw. Like there's so many mistakes everywhere. Like mm. there's so much out of tuneness from the strings. Sometimes it's like, mm. it's really, there's so much humanity in it to me and still bill also has that humanity. But I mean, it's fun to talk about too. Cause like not that many people really know about it. Right. Is this your favorite bill Withers album? Mm. I think Weirdly, we were talking about it earlier, like maybe my favorite is the Live at Carnegie Hall album. I mean, that's an amazing album. Yeah. Um, just because like to hear what that music means to so many people in an audible space, like the right. crowd is so lit on that record. Yeah. I love it so much. <laughs> Morgan, I'm curious as someone who, again, just literally came to this album in the last week how maybe this is an unfair question to ask, but how where where would you put it within his broader catalog? That's a good question, and it, and it is unfair because now this has just messed up my whole Bill Withers thing. Thanks a lot, Joey. <laughs> Damn it! But before I would have been like, hands down, there's nothing better than just as I am. Mm. And now I'm like, maybe I would push this above because did I get caught up on the singles? Did I get caught up on the hits of Just as I Am? Right. And didn't look further. And I think because you bought up this album and it forced me to listen to it for the first time, I can't, I'll never take away from Grandma's Hands and I'll never take away from Ain't No Sunshine. But this, this has made me feel different about his discography. I'm not an expert in ranking albums, but this pushed this a little bit further up the chain than I would have thought of before. Right. And I don't know what the hits were on this album. They weren't really. There were two songs that charted. I think it was... Uh, um, there's a track to uh, the same love that made me laugh. Yep. Was the only mm. one that I think really charted with any kind of staying power at all. Billboard. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And um and Heartbreak Road. Right. I think was like on the R and B charts. But I don't think anything off of here is really considered part of Withers' like greatest hit, mm -hmm. his portfolio, which is unfortunate because I think song for song, actually, I would take this over Still Bill. Yeah. As good as the songs yeah, on yeah. there, I think part of it, and not to go too too far off on a tangent, but. Joe, I was thinking about your, your your campfire comparison, and I think perhaps because we've heard Lean On Me too many times around the campfire, I'm not saying it's a bad song. I'm just saying I never need to listen to it again. Like, it's at this point, because of over-familiarity, it's perhaps my least favorite Bill Withers <laughs> song, and it's not for any intrinsic deficiency in terms of song craft. It's like, I just don't need to ever hear it again. Oh, Lean On Me? Yeah. 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 I want to say something about um, about Heartbreak Road. And also just in general, that there are some of the best lyrics on this album, and I paid attention to them in a way that I haven't. And 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 just I gotta be honest with you guys, I have been really caught up on the hits of Bill Withers. So when I was talking about reference, most people referencing those hits, I was sort of talking about myself, right? Even though I know a lot about Bill Withers, but I tend to like those come up right away. And on in prep for this chat, because I had no introduction to this album besides getting ready for this, I paid a lot of attention to the lyrics. And there are some of the best one-liners on this album. Mm -hmm. Heartbreak Road, I like where he says, I believe that love's a good teacher When you're in it Girl, Lord, and even if it don't work out You ain't gonna never understand it Till you've been all down in it Girl, Lord, and It's just a beautiful, beautiful song from start to finish, but I love how it ends.
Any impressions listening to it now and prep for this chat? Any new things jump out at you that might not have jumped out at you the first time you listen? Um, well, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I got a bit bolder with some of my like judgmental opinions. You know what I mean? Like before, I was kind of just like listening to it and and with a certain reverence. And in prepping for this, you know, we were talking about an amazing song, Can We Pretend? Yeah. Oh my which God. Which I know you wanted to talk about, which is incredible. But also like my producer brain is like, can somebody like not give Jose Feliciano so much cocaine before he records what? that acoustic guitar? You're taking shots on <laughs> Jose I'm, Feliciano I am, yo, this? I'm sorry. I'm World sorry. star. I'm sorry, I'm gonna start, okay? And I love Jose Feliciano, but he's kind of, he's playing all over the track, sort of. Paint a portrait of tomorrow With the colors bright and gay It's kind of cool, like, it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of not. Wow. <laughs> So like, I guess if you ever got your hands on the on the master tapes, you're just sort of taking taking that slider on Jose's guitar track and just like, yeah. Can we just like, can we just? Someone gave him too much coffee. <laughs> so that, that's that's just what happened. That's one of my favorite tracks still. Oh my it god, says something about that song. It's like, despite the kind of like noodly guitar for me, like, I love that song. That's that's maybe one of my top two, three favorite songs on that. Same. Record. We're taking this quick break to remind you about the Max Fun Drive that we only do once a year. I know this is not necessarily everyone's favorite listening part right. of it, but again, we only burden you with listening to this once a year because it is <laughs> such a big, important way in which we get the support from all of our listeners by becoming monthly members so that we can bring you Heat Rocks each and every week and Maximum Fun can bring you all the other wonderful podcasts that they do. As we mentioned earlier, we want to thank you for your support, not just by saying thank you, but if it, for what it's worth, thank you. Thank you for your support. Yeah. But we also want to hook you up. We do want to hook you up. The first question uh, to that end is, do you have five on it? I've got five on it. And <laughs> if you do, you can get a monthly membership that comes with exclusive bonus content, over 100 hours of bonus episodes. That's only available to monthly members. This, this doesn't go to everybody. This is like a VIP-type membership for $5. Who does that? Max Fund does that. So get into, uh, get into that. Which means you can listen to our special Donors Only Heat Rock show where Morgan and I talk about some of our favorite features. That's right. And that's a great episode. You don't want to miss that. If you've got $10, your monthly membership will include the aforementioned pin. It's a drive-exclusive enamel pin designed by Megan Lynn Cott. There are brand new designs for every MaxFun show. You can pick your favorite and you can get a Max Fun membership card. Our pin is fire. I can't speak for these other shows. But in terms of heat rocks, we got fire. Okay? You want to describe it? Yeah, it's a cassette tape with flames on it. You know what I'm saying? If you if you didn't just hear that and picture how you're going to rock it with your individual fits, I can't help you. But if you're interested in rocking that, slide us that 10. For $20 a month, it is a beautiful 18 by 24 inch 550 piece maximum fun puzzle mm. designed by Jeffrey Tice. And it basically shows you what it looks like to look outside of the Max Fun headquarters onto MacArthur Lake in downtown Los Angeles. It is beautiful. 
at 550 pieces, this will keep you busy for a good weekend, right. if not longer. <laughs> so if you need to pass some time, you want to have max fun in your mind and in your heart, then that $20 a month gets you that puzzle. For $35 a month, you get to upgrade to a glass coffee mug that's mm. engraved with the Max Fun Rocket logo. And I don't know about you, Morgan, but as someone who is a constant coffee drinker, I can always use more mugs. Absolutely. One, one is never enough. Just to let you know, the new and upgrading members get the gift at their level and all the gifts below. So, for example, a new $35 member gets the mug. You also get the puzzle. You also get an enamel pin of your choice. And you get the bonus content. What's better than that? For $50, you can get a metal-engraved MaxFun membership card that's personalized with your name. And I've actually seen these, and so I need one of those myself. It's like our version of the black card. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's the metal card era here. It's, I mean, it's got a good weight to it. You just look like... You just you just look like you you just have the swag because everyone has cards, but who has metal engraved cards? <clears throat> Only Max Fund members at the fifty dollar level. And for a C note, you can get membership in the Inner Circle or our monthly Culture Club plus immortalization at Max Fund HQ. And who doesn't want that? Finally, for the two hundred dollar monthly membership, you can get free registration for the super fun Max Fun Con 2020. And does, doesn't it just sound good to say 2020? You want to be there when this uh, Max Fun Con goes down. So please slide us that 200. Where you go, you go to maximumfun.org slash donate. That is maximumfun.org slash donate. All we need is a credit card number and some basic information, and that is it. You are instantly going to become a monthly member. Your membership contribution is ongoing, and it renews every month. You don't have to do anything unless right. that card expires or you decide to cancel. And again, that is at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Thank you. All right, and we are back on Heat Rocks with Joey Dosick talking about Bill Withers' third album, adjustments and this is the gentrified version of uh this episode because the power's back on <laughs> and we're back in our studio that's it <laughs> actually i kind of liked it out in the kitchen though real talk i'm saying yeah, it was intimate it wasn't, it wasn't bad it's gully I'm, I'm not bad at it before we get back into the specific songs though i i'm, I'm dying to get back to the, those but can we just talk and pull the scope back for a second and you had mentioned in your intro Morgan the idea of this album as being a bit of an allegory for just Withers in general and the idea that maybe like the album Withers is slightly underregarded which seems like on the one hand a weird thing to say about someone who has such a great like a potent greatest hits catalog but on the flip side if you were to ask I think the average person like name the the most important or the best soul singer male singers from the 1970s you would get Marvin. You would get Al Green. You might get Downey. Whatever, you're gonna get Stevie. Yeah. You're not gonna hear. You're not gonna hear Bill Withers. Mm. And maybe this speaks a little bit to some of the things that we were talking about in the first half about the differences in his voice, the kind of the difference in his kind of working class background, the fact that he was in his 30s when he first hit. But it's really weird to me to think about him being someone who was enormously successful, yet kind of overlooked. Like, and how to reconcile that dichotomy, if you will. I'm wondering how each of you think of this. I'm always surprised that his name doesn't come up. And in some instances, I haven't brought it up. Mm. We've talked about R&B, great R&B albums, or great R&B artists even on this show. We also haven't mentioned him. Yeah. That's no slight on us. Right. I think it's just to the point that we tend to associate these 
you know, we tend to associate great R&B singers and albums with gospel basses and with the hits. I'm not surprised that this went under everyone's radar. This isn't even a a highly regarded breakup album. If you think about breakup albums and R&B singers, you're going to go with Hear My Dear. This isn't Hear My Dear. But this isn't Hear My Dear because... To me, Bill Withers didn't carry his feelings on his sleeve. That's what's so surprising about this album is that it's so intimate for someone that presents as very stoic to me and guarded and anthemic. I think it's unfortunate that he doesn't get regarded as, as, as in the same light as these artists. It doesn't take anything away from his talent. He's just a different type of soul singer. Absolutely. He didn't, he didn't fit into that classic mold as um, a black soul singer. As you said earlier, I think when we weren't recording you mentioned the fact that he had a guitar yeah you know an acoustic guitar and how that really separates him too it really was different different yeah i didn't think about the guitar aspect but i think in this kind of gets into the ways in which we code music racially depending on instrumentation and the acoustic guitar for reasons that i don't think really hold up to just history but Whatever reason, it gets coded as white and it folk does. and rock. And somehow, like, soul singers and R&B don't have access to acoustic guitars. But nonetheless, I think part of those those associations are what weighs on Withers in terms of how he gets remembered within the kind of canon, if you will, yeah. of, of soul soul artists. But he did have his, yeah, he had as much crossover success as any of those kind of big names that Huge. we yeah. that we mentioned Getting back into the individual songs, so Morgan, you were saying that Can We Pretend is your fire track. That's my fire track. Yeah. Joey, how about you? What's your fire track off this album? Is this, is this, some, is this like fire track? Like <laughs> You can interpret it any way you want. Okay, but great. Generally, I would say it's the song that every time you hear it, it, it just charges you. Okay. It lights I'm, you up. I, I'm, then I'm going to make my own rules and make two fire tracks. Okay. I'm going to Go say Stories yeah, is the one that changed my life, and I'm going to say Heartbreak Road is just the banger on this record. Right, you mentioned the banger aspect. Let's start with Heartbreak Road. So what is it about that that just has you juice? It's so, like, first of all, like, the bass and the drums sound almost like a drum machine. Like, it's just so tight and simple, and it's just, like, all beaten together at the same time. It's just, like, all right there. And then as a song, like I said earlier, it's just like any generation stylistically, you could take that song and do it any kind of way. Like if that song had been in the 50s, if that song had been in the mm. 80s, like it's, it's, still, it's still what it is. Like it's timeless. I never thought about the drum machine comparison, but now that I hear it, I can't unhear it. <laughs> Once again, shout out to James Gadson for just being in the pocket. Always. Know, always. Absolutely. And then your other one is Stories, which would make sense because you covered the song. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, I mean, for me, Stories is the fire track. Mm-hmm. I mean, not because it's necessarily the most energetic, but simply that it is a song that, it, to use your, your analogy earlier, Joey, that it's a song that kind of just stops me dead in the tracks. And... You know, I was trying to parse apart what is it, and I think part of it is the intro. And we talked about how he doesn't have necessarily a church or gospel background, but I I feel like those intro piano 
on this song in particular draws from that. And I did notice that I think one of the pianists who play on this album, I don't know if he's playing on this song in particular, but John Miles was working was one of the personnel on this album. And Miles had his start with the Swan Silvertones mm-hmm. in the nineteen sixties, which was a big, big gospel group. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe Miles brought some of that in. When he comes in with those that those first set of vocals. Who will buy a glad story that a young man has to tell? Ooh. I mean, I still get shivers with it. And is this not one of just his best vocal performances Man. on yeah. yeah. Definitely oh, yeah. one. Well, you know who, who was also on this track is Dorothy Ashby. Yes, yeah. indeed, with Harpist. the harp. So, yeah, playing harp. Like, the fact that he had Dorothy Ashby and Jose Feliciano on this record is also kind of like <laughs> an amazing, like, this being a cult album with two, like, total cult heroes yeah. musically. Right. Um, which I think is really cool. But I agree with you that this may be, this is an all-time Bill Withers vocal performance. Mm -hmm. When you tackled your cover for the song, how did you decide to approach it? Well, I had started using the song before I recorded it. I I used it um, in my live shows. I had been opening for a lot of other bands. And when you open for bands, you're playing for a crowd that's not yours. And so you have to either win them over or give them a reason to Mm. shut up Mm. when you're playing shows. And so I took that song and I would start shows and I would just come out and sing that song a cappella. And it would quiet the whole room. Who will buy a sad story that a young girl has to tell? Come into my house of lonely. I mean, being on tour, it made me feel and connect with my job, which is just like I'm here traveling to tell my stories <laughs> in general. And that song is just like it sets the table. Yeah. And so when I, I, I then decided to record it, and uh, it kind of just felt like it should be part of the record. Like I think it being my first full-length record right. sometimes like having a uh, a cover i think could be good juju like to have just like <laughs> one tasteful cover on it yeah so you know i tried to do my best with it i'm curious though in terms of you did not want to you didn't record it very loyal in the sense that you weren't trying to copy the instrumentation or the original arrangement i mean you're using primarily the choral voices more rather than piano and, and, and the other instruments. And so I'm just curious, curious, what was behind some of those creative choices? Well, I I also wanted to have some moments on my record that didn't have any piano, because that's, that's one of the main things that I do, is I sit down at the piano and right. sing. And I like to write songs that could just be done, just piano and voice. And so there's so much piano on my record that I tried to make something that did not have that. And so that track is just percussion and claps and and voices
terms of fam- favorite moments on this album, mine is the beginning of Railroad Man because it starts out with a conversation between Bill and Jose, which, to your point, you know, thinking back now that you brought it up, somebody might have been high in that moment. <laughs> but I love that it opens up with a little bit of spoken word. Uh, when I was a little boy back in West Virginia, we lived very close to a railroad track. That's Jose on Congas. Yes. And I remember I used to dream about them trains and where they might go and the people that worked on the trains. One of the things that I like about it is, I, I like about this moment is that it is personal, that he's interacting with one of his band members, that yes, um, Jose that heretofore is always known for the guitar thing is on congas. And on top of that, I love this song in general because I think this song in general is about pain. Mm-hmm. It's about a man of mystery who changes his name based on him going to different cities. But I also think it's about the grueling nature of having to travel to different places all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know um, if he fell in front of the train or he stepped in front of the train on purpose. And that Bill Withers, is, to me, is talking a little bit about depression that not just that I know this life of a working class man working on a train, but I know what it's like to be isolated, to have to be in different cities, and to perhaps consider choices that everybody else wouldn't consider. Mm. And that it starts out so instrumental with just a conversation. And I think what he's asking, Jose, is, do you know what this life is about? Do you know what it's like to travel all the time for your career and to be sad and to be someone different in city, from city to city? Um, but I love the banter between them. And to your point, just listening back, you know, I think that some sort of pharmaceuticals might have been involved at the beginning because they sound hella relaxed, right? Oh, They're yeah. hella relaxed. But but I love that. I think it's intimate, and I think it is a story about one man's pain. Hmm. Joey, do you have a favorite moment off of this album? I actually, I really love the way that the whole album starts. Like, there's there's some patience there. I think I used to listen to this album on when I'd go on runs, and hmm. I actually love the way the table gets set on this record. band comes in and they're already burning but they're not maxed out yet you want to take me to a doctor to talk to me about my I think it's a it's a really special first track that's just like so hypnotic mm-hmm. and like I said it doesn't doesn't have a chorus it's just like I've got some shit I need to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I need to get this off my chest and I'm going in and like, I've got my family here to support me <laughs> too. Like really supportive. One of the best lines from that song is where he says, you're pouring muddy water on me trying to convince me that it's rain. Mm-hmm. Man. Gems. <laughs> Five, he's got bars. Bill's got totally. bars on here. <laughs> and it is, it to me it is about perception but also about hypocrisy like while you're judging putting a finger at someone you got three fingers pointing back at yourself Mm. and it is about choice and he talks about smoking up and you know coping and damn pharmaceuticals come up a lot through this album or in this discussion (laughs) but um but again i just think it's so powerful joey is there a slow burner off of this album for you something that maybe took time for to really grow on you or oh yeah along Uh, those lines um probably the last track the railroad and which i i feel like i rediscovered upon listening to it um in preparation yesterday that that track is fire 
And it's the last track on the album, so it's like, you know, did you have time to listen to the whole thing? Right. And it's long. It's like a six-plus-minute song. Right. And so it might be that by the time you get there, you're a little bit exhausted. And I kind of feel like the whole spoken, the monologue intro, which, of course, was a big thing in the 70s, has not really aged well. Like, no. It's one of those, like, I just want you to get to the singing part. I don't, <laughs> I don't need you to explain stuff to me, necessarily. Right. It might be time for a spoken well, intro comeback. Yeah, bring it back, Joey. I don't think anybody's really bring doing that. Back. that. Yeah, I think so. That and skits on the album. We've got to bring those back. I mean, I love the spoken word intros. I always think about Cameo and uh, some of their intros. So if you're an aspiring musician or a musician out there and you're thinking about it, just bring these intros back. Go on and do it. It's time. Just be out there. I think one of the sleeper tracks on here or something we haven't talked about today is Greengrass. Mm. Looking up at the people looking down Taking tranquilizers by the pound Looking down at the people, looking up. More pharmaceuticals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Tranquilizers, he says, uh, I think in Real Romance, smoking those funny, funny smelling cigarettes. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother show. This That's is a good. classic Bill Withers lyric song. Like, I, like when I think about the movie Still Bill, mm -hmm. and they show him kind of like, with these little phrases on notes, this whole song is those Bill Withers phrases. Yep. Those yes. kind of quirky little sort of like paradoxes, these opposites, these kind of like explaining it all yep. through the differences. The grass is greener. The rich looking at the poor, the poor looking at the rich. Love it. Great groove, too. Great mm -hmm. groove. Yeah, yeah. We all have our own Do you think this album was right on time, ahead of its time, or timeless? I think it's both right on time and also timeless. Mm. I think the timeless qualities of it have to do with the issues that are timeless issues. Um, I also think some of the songwriting is timeless. Um, but I also think that it's it's very much like, you know, even the fact that like Ruby Lee, which has a Melvin Dunlap composer credit because of that kind of like funky, funky kind of smooth, slithering bass line. Like that bass line to me is very much a product of just that time. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear that and you're like, oh, okay, I know when this album was recorded. Mm -hmm. So I think it's sort of both for me. Um, we ask our guests um, to describe the album that they've chosen in three words. Mm -hmm. If you had to describe adjustments in three words, what would they be? Human, heartbroken, and therapy. Mm. For the listener or for the singer? For both. I think for both, but I think really for the singer. I mean, definitely both. It's like you, we all project our own situations. But, yeah. Yeah. but the record is called Adjustments, right? Which is short for Adjustments. And there's not really, you don't really get a sense that, you don't really get a sense of what those adjustments are necessarily. He's just kind of like taking stock of everything. We haven't gotten into the album title, but can I just raise this point? It's, it is Adjustments, but there's the plus symbol in front of it. What is the plus symbol doing there? For all these years, I don't understand. That was weird. And when you file this, where do you file it? There's no place for like 
you know, the top level of shift key keyboard, you know, keys. In I thought it was math. You know what I mean? My first, since I'm not good in math, I was like, it's okay for you to be confused. You're not good in this. But I think the cover art, the cover art is him writing on a board, on a board yeah. which to me thought, I, I thought immediately math. But also too, it's sort of, it's like, this is what this is about. I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you what it's about. And I think he explained that on, um, I think I can bring it up. There's a, yeah, because there's nowhere on the on the record that has the text of what he wrote on that chalkboard, but I think I did find it online and copy pasted it on my phone of what he writes and it's Yep. I'm gonna read it to you. Yeah. Find it here. All right. So the album cover shows Withers writing the following explanation of the title. Life like most precious gifts gives us the responsibility of upkeep. We are given the responsibility of arranging our own spaces to best benefit our survival. We have the choice of believing or not, believing in things like God, friendship, marriage, love, lust, or any number of simple but complicated things. We will make some mistakes, both in judgment and fact. We will help some situations and hurt some situations. We will help some people and hurt some people and be left to live with it either way. We must then make some adjustments, or as the old people back home would call them, um, plus adjustments, in other words, uh, is complicated. <laughs> Fair enough. It's complicated. There you go. Well, that will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Joey Dosick. What are you working on right now? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles, off of tour right now, so I'm working on new music. I'm in, in the lab, just writing and recording right now. And where can people find you out there on the interwebs? Oh, they can find me any which way um, out there on on uh, your social media or on your Spotify or if you want to hold my records um, <laughs> all you gotta do is type in my name so just Joey Dosick and all those places that's right very simple if you like Bill Withers adjustments then me and Morgan have some suggestions on other albums you might want to check out my pick would be Inspiration Information by Shuggy Otis from 1974 it is certainly slightly more obscure compared to Withers uh, but both artists share, I think, a very similar, very eclectic sensibility to their style, including vocally. And also just inspiration information is a sublime, sublime album on its own merits. And it's an album that was rediscovered, I think, sometime in the OOs because of a reissue. Uh, and very deservedly, it is one of the just the best albums from the mid-70s. And I think, again, if you like Bill Withers, you like what you heard on Adjustments, you will also like Shuggy with Inspiration Information. My pick would be to revisit Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions, 1972. A ton of hits on there, and I wouldn't call this an obscure album, um, but I think some... Stevie. It's Stevie. (laughs) Wouldn't call it an obscure album, but it has some of the songs... Um, to me, that are that are my favorite, and sometimes don't get mentioned in in, in the canon. Jesus, Children of America, immediately comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I love um, All in Love Is Fair, and but I also love Visions. So if you wanted to, if you want to get into something that to me is is a little bit Justmas reminiscent, mm-hmm. I would recommend that Stevie Wonder album.
You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits engineers and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Max Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the West Lake neighborhood of Los Angeles, where everyone has a story to sell. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's donated to the show during the Max Fun Drive. It absolutely is not too late. Once again, the website is maximumfund.org slash donate. And if you want to, you can highlight us, but just donate to the network in general. It'll help support everything that the network does and, of course, everything that we are able to do here on Eat Rocks as a consequence of that. Along similar lines, if you have a chance, please do consider leaving us a review on iTunes because that is another way in which new listeners can find their way to us. It's been a couple of weeks since folks have left, so we are asking for those new listeners that we might have acquired or our veteran listeners who have yet to leave a review. Please just take out a minute to do so. It's how we grow and how we can do what we keep on doing. We would also like to thank our social media family for their love, including Briggy Smalls. Okay, shout listen, shout out to Briggy Smalls, Brigham at Brigham Fisher One. Thank you so much for shouting us uh, out. We also want to shout out Matthew Birdsey. We also want to shout out uh, Michael Hoffman. Thank you so much for the love and support. We want to shout out Elise Yells Into the Void. Okay. I just I just love our, our family and their names out there. We want to thank, we want to shout out um, Tights and Fights. We also want to shout out Jesse Thorne. Thank you for giving us love um, on, on the socials. We want to thank Miss Lady Die. Thank you so much. Uh, she liked the Women Behaving Boldly episode number four with Ann Powers, who came on to talk about uh, Madonna's Like a Prayer. We want to shout out DJ Patrick, who did uh, the show with Oliver Wong. And we also want to shout out Amy Rushton for giving us all that love. We do so appreciate. Oh, and last but not least, we want to shout out Liz Criola, who continues to give us love. We do so appreciate the Tweezies and the Retweezies. Good to see you, Oliver. Good to see you too, Morgan. One last thing. Here's a teaser for next week's episode. It's a first in a four-part quarterly special between Morgan and I talking about the art of sampling, beginning with one of the first great sampled albums of the 1980s, the James Brown anthology in the Jungle Groove. Let me ask this. What is it about the funky drummer, the drum break in particular, that you think is so memorable? This is a lazy adjective. It's funky? (laughs) I was going to rhyme with that. It's chunky. Mm. It's thick. Mm. There's just something about it that's so full in and of itself that it it's just so full and rich, even in its sim- sim- simplicity. Right. Every time you every time I go to a show and they throw the drummer, it's like the drummer has been waiting for this moment all their life, and they hit you with a flurry of drum gymnastics, and at the end you're like, "Damn, this isn't that." It's dope without being overly ambitious and there's an echo to it that I just can't explain and it's enough by itself it had to be for it to have been used as many times as it's used in the many variations that it's used and that it accomplishes a lot of things it's a good closer it's a good opening point and it exists in a way that it can break up a song into a completely different 
different place like we saw mm. with the Nas thing. Mm-hmm. And for whatever those qualities are about this, to do it in something that's so simple, yeah. it is chunky. That's what I'll say. It's chunky. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.